Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds from KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochileo. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. Before we get started, I'd like to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic. Uh, also, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com and you'll find a bunch of information there on how you can, how you can contribute. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Kurt Mellinger, and he has written two books, Heaven, Here on Earth, and Where the Weeds Grow, Notes on Wilderness. Thank you for being on today. Well, you're welcome, Gary. Glad to be here. Um, so um, what inspired you to write um, Heaven on Earth? Well, you know, uh, I never really set out to be a writer, but uh, I, I spent a lot of years traveling around North America, and I kept a, a road journal. And then I met a, a wise woman up in Silverton, Colorado, named Dolores La Chapelle. And she kind of took me under her wing, and she told me that a lot of my best stories uh, seemed to come from beyond me. And uh, I really think I have some kind of connection to nature and even heaven through my angel. And so what I do is I just kind of uh, write what I'm told to write. I... Uh, Jack Kerouac said, write whatever comes into your head. <laughs> now, not everything you write down is going to be good. But uh, I did notice that a lot of my writings had to do with angels and heaven and the other side. And Dolores was the one that told me that I should collect my best essays and write a book about heaven here on earth. And I did that. And I still had a bunch of stories left. And so I started putting together my second book, which is based on wildness wild things. And uh, in my second book, I kind of delve a little more into the natural, you know, what a lot of my writings have to do with connecting the natural world with the spiritual world. I've always noticed since I was a kid that, you know, the two are connected. A lot of people, you know, they kind of go to church one day a week and put away their, I'm not religious. I, uh, I'm more of a spiritual person, I guess. But, uh, you know, I just enjoy writing about my favorite things. Um, uh, miracles, uh, adrenaline rushes. I've had a lot of impossible coincidences in my life that are possible because they happen. And yet, uh, I just feel like I'm supposed to write even though I never set out to be a writer. So what are some of the uh, impossible coincidences that you've had? Well, there was one, uh, when I was 18, I hitchhiked to Alaska and, uh, I ran into this Japanese mountain climber at four different places in the far north, separated by a week or, or a thousand miles. And everywhere I went, there's Ken Kozoyato. And uh, a number of other impossible coincidences are in a chapter I call 
two in a million. You know, people talk about, well, that's one in a million. Well, mm-hmm. keep th- things keep happening. Um, there's just so many uh, strange things that have happened to me that I, I can't help but believe that I'm supposed to learn these things and share them with others. Um, there was a time I was picked up hitchhiking in Montana by this old hippie who had a uh, old pickup truck that was covered with paintings by Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> and he sold me a hit of acid just before he let me out at the Canadian border. And I put it in my pack and I forgot about it. About a month later, I was hitchhiking in Oregon. And I remember this hit of LSD in my pack and I decided why not? I took it out and I put it in my mouth. And about a minute later, here comes that Vincent Van Gogh Memorial pickup truck. (laughs) The old hippie seen me, stopped, picked me up and he said, how was that hit of acid I sold you a month ago? And I said, I don't know, I just took it. Stuff like that, man. I tell you, I just, you can't make it up. The truth is stranger than fiction. And, you know, I I don't read fiction anymore because I'd rather read something real, something that really happens to Mm -hmm. people here on Earth. Uh, And I think we're just here for a short while. You know, I have this theory, Gary, that we, uh, we all come from heaven and we'll eventually make it back there. But I think we have to go through trials and tribulations and at least one, one lifetime on earth. I, I, when I was a little kid, I thought, oh no, I'm back again. <laughs> this ain't my first starring role. And, uh, I think we have to learn a lot before we go back to heaven. Right. And, you know, I, I've read books by wise people and almost all of them say that they wouldn't change a thing. Even the, the horrible things that happen to you teach you something and ready you for something. You know, we all have to walk the gauntlet before we get back home. Mm-hmm. And I really think that we're all kind of like making a circle journey through the universe where we, we start out and we learn and we hurt. And then we start to realize we have to go through this. And that's when we start learning. Uh, and I guess the whole goal is to be enlightened on earth before we die. Mm-hmm. I don't think I'll ever get there, but, uh, you know, I've met so many beautiful people that have encouraged me to write or to, you know, tell things. Uh, Jack Kerouac said that writing, he always considered writing to be his duty on earth. And I kind of feel like, you know, I just started writing about 15, 20 years ago. And I really love it, man, because I just, uh, my second book just came out and I, my third book is almost finished. And I have two more planned that are about half written. And so I've got the fever, man. And I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I worked a hundred different jobs in my life. I mean, everything from washing dishes to building bridges for the railroad. And, you know, a girlfriend told me a while back, she said, Kurt, you're not a railroader. You're not a carpenter. You're a writer and a photographer. And I started getting serious and I started sending stuff out and it started getting published. And, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of feel like I finally, you know, at age 64, found my calling. Wow. I can relate to that. I, I never started podcasting until about a year ago, and you know, all of a sudden it's taken off. Um, but so, so as a young man, what motivated you to hitchhike around the country? I mean, that takes us. Well, I mean, I know it was pretty common back in the '60s, you know, for people to do that. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, to do it today, not many people even. I don't even. I haven't even seen a hitchhiker in 20 years. I don't know. Yeah, it's it's becoming a thing of the past. And hopping freight trains is almost impossible now. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. But, you know, I, I guess to answer your question was uh, when I was about four years old, I uh, was playing on my neighbor's porch, and I had this vision that I would not live very long, maybe 20 years, maybe 30 at the tops. And so I, I didn't have a death wish, but I had this premonition that I was, I had better get my kicks early and fast and often. And so I lived, you know, after I left high school, I, uh, I lived like a Viking with nine lives. I, I was to the point where I was fearless and, uh, because I figured it's going to get me, but mm -hmm. I just got to have a lot of fun before it gets me. And so I hit the road. I had a scholarship, even though I didn't try for one and I was going to go to college, but then I come out to Durango, Colorado and my van blew up and it changed my whole life because instead of going back to Nebraska to college, I hit the road. And uh, like I said, when I was 18, I wound up in Alaska and Western Canada. And so I, I just really tried to cram as much life into my early years as I could because I didn't think I'd reach 30. And here I am 64. And I'm so glad that I had that. Well, it wasn't, it obviously didn't come true, but I'm glad I had that premonition because, you know, I lived a lot of life when I was in my 20s and 30s. You know, I spent over 10 years just traveling around America, hitchhiking, hopping freight, old cars and trucks. And I did a lot of, a lot of walking, a lot of backpacking. And in, in, in retrospect, I think it was a vision quest. You know, in a lot of cultures, a young man is expected to, when he reaches 16 or 18, they, they're expected to go out and find out what they're supposed to do in this world. And then they come back to their tribe and they decide to get married or be the chief or be a hunter or whatever. And I found out as soon as I hit the road that I was supposed to be on the road. And I did a lot of wild stuff when I was young. And people tell me that was wild what you did. But, you know, Gary, thinking back on it, it didn't seem wild to me. It seemed mm -hmm. perfectly normal. You know, I, I learned how to surf and ski. And I, I entered a boxing tournament without any training. And I just found that I fell in love with nature. And I was perfect. I was more comfortable in wild places and among wild animals than I was with tame people. I, uh, I love people, but I, I can only handle so much of them. And then I need to get out in nature. I, I go to, I live kind of in between the mountains and the desert here in Southwest Colorado. And I, I spend two or three days in the wild places as kind of my personal psychiatrist or mm -hmm. therapist. And, uh, I couldn't do without it, man. I just, uh, I think we're born wild and then they tame us down and they kind of have this, somebody called it a reducing valve of society. How, when we're kids, we can see and feel and feel so much. And then as you get into school and sports and stuff, they start reducing and then you only see this is a little bitty part of it. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm starting to get back to when I was a child, when I could see and feel so much more than I do as a, as a, you know, uh, Thoreau said, uh, when we should still be growing children, we are already grown men and I don't want to be a grown up because it's almost like, you know, you become the other side. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm a, I don't think I'm ever going to be tame or domesticated. Right. Do, do you think that, um, living the way we live now in quote unquote civilization has taken away our spiritual connection to nature and who we really are and what we're meant to do? Yes. Yes. I think, uh, you know, um, when I'm out in nature, I just feel totally at home and it's almost like you have to put on a, a different outfit when you come into the, the real world, the, the, the human world. But, uh, I just try to connect the natural 
with my everyday life. I, uh, you know, I just, I just think that we're meant to learn so much more than is, is available through the normal channels. I think this, you know, the, the computer world and the high technology and the social media has kind of taken the humanity out of us. And we just kind of log on. I, I've never ran a computer in my life and I never will. But I just see even young kids, they just get sucked into this computer world and they stop playing outdoors and they stop climbing trees. And, you know, I was talking to an old lady the other day that I met hiking and she said, you know, I don't see young people hiking and, and swimming in the river and building army forts and stuff anymore. They're all inside playing video games and they don't, they don't really connect with the natural world. My dad, when we, us kids were young, he took us hunting, fishing, exploring. We never sat indoors very much. We were not allowed to watch TV except on a few nights. But, uh, you know, I just feel sorry for kids nowadays because they don't get to play Huck Finn and Davy Crockett and and Tarzan like we did. Right. Um, do, do you think that um, causes people to become less spiritual or, or lose some kind of connection to god yes i do i uh you know i was raised catholic and uh i i was an older boy and i had some really heavy experiences in church and then i uh became a born again christian when i was like 17 and then about a year later i discovered this book that i've been looking for for years called the Tao de jing i love Jane. that <laughs> oh man that just blew my mind when i found that book and uh long story short i've been studying that since i was 19 and i've got about 35 translations that, that's what my third book is about and uh i really love the old chinese way of looking at things it's very natural it's just you know we are a part of nature we're not mm -hmm. apart from nature and uh i just see the the people nowadays becoming so quote civilized but they're just they're becoming colder and less um uh spiritual they don't mm -hmm. uh um, you know, I believe in angels and uh, miracles and uh, helpful spirits. And uh, I just see a lot of people that don't anymore. They, they didn't get that upbringing or they haven't experienced it because they were too busy logging on. And, you know, this computer world just clogs our heads with so much data and information. Then you need more and more and more. It's almost like being a heroin junkie. Mm -hmm. And I just never want to put the needle in my arm because I just like life without uh, that kind of drug. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what do you think about the idea of rewilding, um, which is basically uh, people just, just breaking off from society and sort of living in communes, living out in the woods, um, living off the land and not using money or government or anything like that. Do you think something like that would help people grow again? You know, I think that may be something that's coming in the near future. At least I hope so. I think that once society or anything goes too far one way, it has to come back the other way. And I just in my short life, I've seen the human race change and not for the better. I think we've become colder and, uh, less in tune with the real things of life. And so, yeah, I do think that, uh, uh, we need to go back to a simpler way of life. And I think at some point, it may not happen in my life, but I think hopefully before the human race self-destructs, and I do believe we're headed that way, I think there's going to become an, a, an awakening. 
it kind of happened in the 60s in the 70s but it kind of went away but uh i think at some point god help us that it's going to be uncool to have a smartphone in your pocket it's going to become uncool to always go online or always have a cell phone with you or social media i think at some point we're going to get rid of that stuff and it's going to be cool to walk around without that stuff and there's not going to be any microchips in our head or we're not going to be misled by big brother or society i think we're going to break away from that and if we don't i think the computers are going to take over the human race and i i really believe that at some point it's going to be like the old hippies you know get it get away from society and like you say grow your own garden barter uh work outdoors uh commune with nature thank god for your blessings thank god you can get up in the morning and you know i don't have a real religious view of god but i do know there's something way way far beyond us mm -hmm. and sometimes i think i'm just scratching the surface of the other side and occasionally the door will crack open just a little bit and you can see inside and the wonders there are beyond description you know when i was a child when i would see a rainbow across the sky it seemed to me like that was god's eye opening just a little bit and letting those incredible colors through and i almost thought that i could see god in a rainbow of course i also had experiences in a catholic church where i i felt like god was not on the altar but rather above the, mm -hmm. the, the congregation and i would often be looking up and i almost felt like i could see angels above us and it wasn't on the altar or what the priest was really doing but rather God just being glad that we are trying to contact him or her or it. And uh, yeah, I just think that we, we barely scratched the surface. And, and maybe when we die, I have a couple of chapters on death. I took care of my father the last four months of his life. And we had a lot of discussions about death. And towards the end, I think he was in both worlds at one time. And when he passed away, it seemed like I could see him heading to heaven. And it was just, it was actually a beautiful thing because mm -hmm. I realized that his pain was over and he was never going to have to come back here. Wow. And, and when I was a kid, I thought, oh no, I'm back here again. I thought I had, <laughs> you know, gone through all that hell on earth, but I was sent back for a reason. I think it was to write heaven here on earth and these subsequent books. Awesome. You know, I took care of both of my parents as they passed away. And, um, like with my mom, I was sitting with her, I was holding her hand when she passed. And, um, yeah, it was, that was beautiful. And then with, but hers was fast. My dad, he was at home and he, he, his passing was like much, much slower. So he spent a lot more time in that Bardo state of in between life and death. And we had put a baby monitor in his room so he could hear if, if he was in pain or anything like that or needed help. And, um, and we would hear him having full conversations with family members that had already passed. Wow. For about, this was going on for like two weeks before he finally wow. died. And it, it was absolutely incredible. You know, I, so I mean, I'm convinced that that spirits were coming to him, trying to get him to say, you know, hey, it's okay. You're going to be all right. Just let go. Stop fighting. Uh, you know, that, that I had somewhat similar experiences like that. Uh, my brother, Bruce, uh, he was a year older than me. And we were very close. He, he died in an avalanche when he was 29. And uh, I wound up scattering his ashes in the Tetons. And over the years, I, uh, I've stayed in touch with him. And uh, 
I have dreams about him where he says, everything's all right, Kurt. Stop your worrying. That's a human thing. <laughs> and there are times when I'll be walking down the street and, and some guy will look at me and Bruce's eyes will be in his face. And it's almost like he's saying, you're doing great, man. Hang in there. And then uh, one time when I was working on the railroad years ago on a bridge crew, I, uh, I fell through the bridge and I thought I was going 60 feet to the rocks. And I wound up only falling about 10 feet and I landed on the cement pier. But in that short split second, how, how long does it take to fall 10 feet? A split second. And yet I saw probably half of my life, early laugh, passing in slow motion, like watching a slow motion replay on TV. And it, it just blew my mind because when I realized that I hadn't died and I had just seen half of my life pass in front of my eyes, it changed my whole view on things. And, um, you know, they say that people have, who have near-death experiences, uh, they become more aware and uh, they care more about other people. It's almost like you're given that, you know, Ted Nugent said that the best thing in life is to almost go over the edge but not go over the edge, but get a, get a glimpse of the edge. And then you know what life is all about. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't, I, I'm, I'm just, like I say, scratching the surface, but uh, I have learned that it's the, uh, it's the little things in life that we remember as we're dying. We don't remember money we made or careers we had. We remember grandma Melliger. We remember a teacher in high school that gave us good advice. We remember when we helped somebody. You know, people who are dying, they, they, they remember the real things in life. They, re, they want to see flowers and birds and squirrels. You know, my dad turned into a little child towards the end. You know, he was tired of the ways of the world. He, he loved the nature world, and he was ready to go home. And, but he fought like a cornered wolf. <laughs> I always thought that if I was in really bad shape and old and dying, I would just want to pull the plug. Mm -hmm. But I won't because my dad taught me you never quit. You never give up. You fight. Because you know what? This is a beautiful place we live. And I compare it to heaven. This is heaven. At least like heaven. And dad did not want to leave this world. Even though he knew he was going to heaven. He loved this planet so much. Nature, gardening, baseball, women, music, dogs. I mean, he was in love with his life. And I think he may have had a near-death experience in World War II as an army sergeant in uh, Belgium and France, but he would never tell us the blood and gory details about war. He would always tell us about how kind uh, the Belgian peasants were to his men and they would feed him their best food because all they had was sea rations. And they had to spend the winter of 44 or 45 in a bombed out French village. And they had just cotton fatigues and how the, the French women would hand knit wool sweaters and stocking hats and mittens and give them to the soldiers to keep warm and uh he he remembered the good things about war in other words he, he taught me that bad times bring out the best in people not the worst you know you can either quit or you can you know call on your angel or bring up a strength from a source you never knew you had you know i know people who have handicaps and it made them better not worse. It didn't, it didn't handicap them. It made them better. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like you're a lot like he was. Well, I hope, I wish, Gary, I, I truly wish I was, but I'm not. Mm. I don't know. You know, um, 
near near death experiences is what got me into podcasting. I had a my own thing where I had a, a really bad seizure that lasted about thirty minutes, and when I came out of it, I was just like, "Holy crap!" You know, I'm I'm definitely not this body because I was still conscious and like somewhere else, and it was absolutely amazing. It, it, it totally changed my life and my perspective on everything. And, um, you know, and it makes me want to do two things. Like one, I wanted to, I would like, or, you know, like to help people not be so afraid about all the nonsense, all the meaningless crap, you know, that, that people think about, worry about and struggle with. And then the other part, like you, is, um, appreciating nature. I, 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 I just think that we just, we walk by like all this beauty and don't even acknowledge it. Yeah. You know, we take so much for granted. Mm -hmm. um, the first chapter in my first book is called ecstasy in motion. And I just talk about the miracle of being able to wake up from a deep sleep and, and get out of bed by yourself and use the bathroom by yourself and not have to rely on anybody else. I mean, just being able to move and walk and, and swim and, and, uh, do all the things that we, you know, we take for, so much for granted. And, uh, you know, food is so delicious when you've almost starved to death, you know, and, and just drinking cool water is like a passageway to heaven to me. Um, I have an angel that watches over me and, you know, warns me about stuff and, and tells me, go over there. And I, I never doubt her because that's, that's my guardian angel. And I believe we all have one, maybe more. Um, I met a medicine woman. I, I told you about Dolores. And, and she told me that she said months after she met me, she said, I liked you right away because I could tell that you had never abandoned your muse. And I asked her what, what's a muse. And she said, well, it's like an angel or a, a messenger, a go between. And, uh, I never have, I mean, I, I still say the guardian angel prayer once in a while. I, uh, um, I couldn't do any writing without her or it or whatever it is. I just, you know, I'm a dummy when it comes to, I, I can always tell when it's me writing because it's very clumsy and unreadable. But what I do, Gary, before I write in the morning, I get up early. Before I write, I stand in the middle of the room and I blank my head and I bow once and I sit down and then it just flows. Uh, sometimes it's almost like watching my hand. I still write by hand. Why watching my hand move the pen across the paper and the words just appear. And then I read them the next day and I go, that's not me. That's beautiful. You know, my, my, my writing is clumsy the way they taught me in high school and stuff. And, and, uh, I just learned to, you know, my editor for, uh, Ozark Mountain Publishing, she told me one time that, uh, you just seem like you're, uh, you're in a really different space when you write. And I told her, I don't, I don't really think about writing. It just happens. And, uh, you know, you have to trust your instincts in this world. And I do implicitly. I, you know, when I was a kid, I just had some pretty close calls with death. And I, I just realized that you have to listen to your angel or, or, or you're a goner. And so I, I trust her implicitly and <laughs> I don't take credit for my writing because it doesn't come from me. It comes through me. So you know, I re once read an interview with Linda mm -hmm. Ronstadt, one of my favorite singers. And 
she said that when she was singing in the Catholic church choir after mass, everybody would tell her, what a lovely voice you have, Linda. And she didn't know what to say because she said, it's not my voice. Mm -hmm. It comes out of me. It, com it comes through me, not out of me. And, uh, you know, Donna Summers, when she died, I read a uh, eulogy about her and she told a similar story. She said that when she was a young girl, she was singing in the church choir. And, and then one time during the service, she stopped singing. And this old lady in the choir took her aside later and said, Donna, you were singing so beautifully. Why did you stop singing? And Donna said, I got scared. And the old lady said, what were you scared of? And she said, I just felt this powerful, powerful thing coming, coming through me. And she said, oh, honey, don't be afraid of that. That's God singing through you. He's using you. And so I, I kind of feel like I'm being used, but in a beautiful way. You know, uh, I worked a lot of jobs and some of them paid really good, but they didn't pay me in satisfaction like writing does. Now, writing, I don't make as much on the, as on the railroad, but I sure get a lot of uh, satisfaction from it. I mean, it's just a deep, beautiful thing to get up early in the morning and let the muse talk through me. And then uh, I have a friend that does all the typing and computer work and stuff for me, so I don't have to focus on that. And so mm -hmm. I can just focus on writing. And that's what I love to do more than anything anymore, because I, I realize that I found my place in the world. Wow. So how do you, how do you when, when do you first recognize that you are really connected to a guardian spirit? And how have you been able to maintain and recognize your guardian's presence? Well, you know, uh, growing up in the Catholic Church, they teach you right away that we all have a guardian angel. And uh, <laughs> one nun told us that we have a, a good angel on one shoulder and a bad angel on the other. We're supposed to listen to the good angel. Mm -hmm. So when I was a kid, I would go, duck, angel. And I would throw my fist over both shoulders so I could punch the punch the devil but not the angel mm -hmm. but i always felt like there was an angel on my side uh there was one time when i was a pitcher in high school and there was one time when i uh i'll never forget i threw a pitch and this big old kid at the plate hit it right back at my face and i mean it was coming at me 100 miles an hour and i was like age 16 and time slowed down i could see the ball coming at me and i could see the red stitches on the white leather and it slowed down to where it was coming at me at like one eighth speed and i was able to bring my glove up in front of my face and catch it and i i distinctly remember if you've ever been at a baseball game especially a hometown crowd and a line drive comes back at the pitcher you can literally hear the crowd go ah! and then they relax ah i heard that in slow motion i mean it took like 10 seconds for the crowd to go Ah, in other words, they saw someone, one of their own in trouble. And mm -hmm. I could, I could see the ball slowing down. I could hear the crowd slowing down. Time really did slow down. And I really felt like my angel stood in between home plate and the pitcher's mound and slowed the ball down because I was not ready for that line drive. My dad used to teach me, bring the glove up, bring the glove up. But I didn't do it that day. But that day, my glove was off to the side and the ball was coming at my face and the ball slowed down. And I was able to put the glove in front of my face and catch it. And then as soon as I heard the pop in the mitt, time reverted to normal. And I threw the ball to the first baseman and around the horn. But for what seemed like 10 seconds, a split second lasted 10 seconds. And so 
that's just one experience, but there's been many times in my life where I've been protected by angels. Uh, I had a girlfriend told me that you have, a, I told her I have a guardian angel and she, I think, I think you have several. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I think she can call in reinforcements when it gets really hairy. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, you, you, you obviously, I mean, you, you've hitchhiked around North America and survived it. So something was looking, somebody <laughs> well, was looking after you. Hey, I'll tell you what, there were times when I thought angels were picking me up. I mean, I, there were just times when I would, I could tell when a car was going to pull over. And uh, sure enough, that person would teach me something or take me someplace or invite me to spend the night and meet the family. And uh, I mean, I just really felt that I was supposed to travel and I love traveling. And when I was on the road, I, I hoped that someday I would stop traveling, but I would still be on the road. Mm -hmm. And I've done that. I haven't left the state of Colorado in a couple of years, but I still feel like I'm on the road, even if it's just walking around out in the country or through the woods. You know, it's just there's a mindset you get when you're on the road where, you know, you're just about ready for anything. And, and, and I think that fate takes us where we're supposed to be. You know, people that never leave home, they don't, they don't know what's out there. They don't gamble. And I think you have to take chances in this world. And I think you have to really go for the gusto if you're going to be happy on your deathbed. Mm -hmm. I see people that retire and they're, they're not happy. They didn't hitchhike to Alaska when they were 18. They didn't uh, learn how to ski powder. They didn't do what their heart's desire told them to. You know, I think in this world, we can either heart, follow the head or the heart. In other words, I believe that our ancestors were more like animals than civilized humans. We trusted our instincts implicitly because we had to. And I think this brain developed over thousands and thousands of years, and it's kind of taken over the human race. And yet I trust my instincts way more than I do my intellect. Uh, it's just like when I write, I shut off my super intelligent brain, and then I'm able to write. And I think you're able to live when you trust your instincts more than your head. Uh, Herman Melville had a great line. He said something like, uh, to the dogs with the head, I stand with the heart. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, Herman. That's awesome. Do you think there's <laughs> any connection to um, your your journey on a road and sort of it being an, a, uh, an analogy to just a journey through life? You know, I mean, life, even if you don't even leave where you are, it's still sort of a journey. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, we all have our calling. I'm not saying everybody should hit the road or climb mountains, but, uh, you know, I think we, we need to test ourselves and, and test the boundaries. Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Rudyard Kipling said that in all the world, there are two kinds of men, those who leave home and those who don't. Mm -hmm. And I really believe that, you know, you got to go, you got to get in the batter's box. You can't just sit in the dugout all your life. You, sometimes you need to risk things to learn things. And, uh, you know, I, I risked it all when I was young and I really am glad I did. Cause, uh, like I said, I had a college scholarship and I, I'm sure I could have gone in about any career I wanted to, but I, I didn't think I'd live long enough to do a career or get married and have kids and stuff. So I just decided I was going to, like Janice Joplin said, you know, get it while you can. Mm -hmm. I, I live not every day that way, but I really realize that this could be my last chance 
last life, last year, last day. Um, I used to have what they call cluster headaches. Uh, one doctor called them suicide headaches because they're so wicked. I once I described it as like a thousand red ants being boiled alive in my head and trying to get out. That's how bad the, the headaches were. But once those headaches went away, then I would find out what a wonderful world this is. My God, I can smell the pine trees. I can eat my favorite foods. I can visit with family and friends. Because when you're in that headache state, you, you can't do anything except just, you know, almost curse God, you know. <laughs> and then once you come out of it, you realize that maybe I'm given these headaches so that I appreciate when I don't have the headaches. You know, it's like, when, you know, we take so much for granted, but then when we get older or crippled and we can't walk, we can't, you know, hike or ski or, or swim or anything, then we miss what we've had. And then we realize how important it is to be healthy and be able to get out of bed and, and drive a car and, and do what we want rather than lying in a hospital bed as my dad did the last four months of his life. Mm -hmm. you know? And yet he never cursed life because he had a great life. He touched all the bases. He was a happy man when he died, even though he was in a lot of pain. He, he knew that he had lived a good life and was going home. Right. Um, I, you know, you touched on a lot of things there. Um, you know, <laughs> like, 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 like I, like my own experience, like, like I kind of, like you, like I, I didn't go far, but I, I, I left, you know, my parents' house and everything. I guess I was like 17 years old, you know, I met a girl and I just sort of took off with her. There and, you go. um, but the funny thing is, like, like you mentioned, like my, um, you know, like, like you have a, the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other. I think I mostly listened to that devil because it seemed like if you told me not to do it or the more wrong it seemed, the more fun it had to be. Well, <laughs> well I think there is an attraction to the dark side. And I think we all have a dark side. Uh, I know I do. I think Mother Teresa probably had a dark side, but I think it's how we, I think it's how we balance those two things. Some mm -hmm. people go to the dark side ex exclusively. Some people go, you know, become a, a religious hermit or something. But uh, I think we have to balance those things. We're we're both given, we're all given both both sides, and I really believe we we have the ability to find what we're supposed to do in this world by listening to the good side. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there were times in my life where I was just a drunken idiot, but I have learned to calm things down and occasionally go there. But I prefer the, the, the healthy way of life now. You know, I, uh, after my brother died, I, uh, I, I, I started changing my whole life. You know, I started eating better, doing yoga, hiking, uh, exploring the desert, all kinds of things that he used to do. And he's another angel of mine. I mean, you know, he, he was my brother and he still is. And I, I still get information from him. And, you know, my aunt Marge, my godmother just died and I still feel her presence. You know, I can feel her right now. I mm -hmm. mean, my grandma Melliger is there whenever I say her word, her name. And I, you know, I, I guess what I'm trying to do, Gary, is by writing, I hope to turn people on to the fact that there is so much more available to us than what the, uh, corporations and government and, uh, uh, legal system and colleges teach us or want to teach us but uh you know i just think there's a wake an awakening coming where i think we're going to find out that that is not the way to happiness but rather the simple things in life uh, family and love and 
a good meal and, and fresh air. And mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I mean, I look around me here, I'm just surrounded by beauty, flowers and butterflies. And, you know, it's just a, a magnificent world. You know, uh, I think it was Emily, Emily Dickinson said one time that if, if people from another planet, just like ours, but, but didn't have flowers came to this planet, they would just be enraptured by looking at all the, the purple and red and beautiful flowers. And yet that's just one millionth of the beautiful things we have on this planet. I mean, you know, there's stars and moons and planets and alligators and uh, on and on and on. And we take everything for granted. And yet this one planet seems to have attracted all of the miracles of the universe. I mean, you, you go to Saturn or, you know, Alpha 3 or whatever, and there's no life there. There's no water. There's no flowers. There's no Jack Kerouac. There's no sandstone arches. There are no glaciers. There are no uh, weeds, you know. There's, and uh, so in my second book, I talk about where the weeds grow, where the, where the lawnmower never mows, where nobody else ever goes, because I have a sneaky suspicion that you can't learn about the ultimate in church or college you have to be alone. And so I guess my therapy is being alone in nature because that's where I feel closest to God. Mm -hmm. I, I consider, you know, the Canyonlands and, and the mountains to be like a roofless cathedral where I am closest to God, you know, when I'm away from the human race. You know, I, I really believe the human race has almost got a disease and it goes beyond physical and but and yet i meet people that are not diseased and are very happy people you know i, I when i lived on skid row i met some real human angels mm -hmm. and they were happy people and yet i've you know been around people that had a lot of money and power and everything and most of them were miserable because it's almost like a heroin junkie mm -hmm. you know you need more than one shot you got to have another million dollars you got to have another apartment building but the really happy people, they're happy with a good meal or a good smoke or, uh, you know, sunshine on a cold day. Uh, I've, I've known several mentally handicapped people that were happy then, you know, really intelligent people. I think we can learn too much. You know, the Tao Te Ching says that the learned do not know and you don't need to learn to know. All going back to instinct, our first nature, our first, I call my angel my first helper. I think she was there when I was in my mother's womb and uh, she was there at my birth. She'll be there at my death. And in between, you know, some people like the Hindu Buddhist faith believe that uh, there are certain people that when they become enlightened, they can either go to heaven, nirvana forever, or they can choose to come back to earth for one more life. It's called a bodhisattva, he who returns on purpose. And I've ran into a lot of those. I think my dad was one. I think Dolores LaChapelle was one. Um, there's just so many uncommonly cool things that have happened to me through meeting these people that I think were, they came back to earth on purpose to teach dummies like me how to, how to make it back to heaven. And, uh, uh, you know, me running into Dolores after I had read her books and, and there I am living in a small town in the high country of Colorado. And somebody tells me Dolores LaChapelle lives down the road here. And then one day at the post office, I met her. And 
we really hit it off, man. But what if I had never moved to Silverton? Or what if I hadn't been to that post office that morning? You know, my whole life would have been different because I wouldn't be writing books. You know, and, and uh, other people have told me, you know, Kurt, you have a way different way of looking at things. And uh, it's almost like a, like I, I'm, I'm in the 18th or 17th century. You know, I am very uncomfortable around, uh, you know, uh, high tech stuff because I just realized that it's the simple, simpler ways of doing I handwrite, you know, I don't, uh, I just think that there's so much more available when we uh, allow our, our souls to take over rather than our, our minds. You know, I, I call it instinct, but you know, it's just intuition and, you know, that first thought, you know, mm-hmm. the ancient Chinese talk about the first thought, not the second or third, in fact, there's even an ancient Chinese philosophy that says, always do what you want. Now, that sounds pretty hedonistic and selfish, but if we just trust what we really want, I want to help that person. I want to work in the garden. I want to mm-hmm. uh, do what's right, you know, uh, rather than what will people think or will I make money doing this or I don't want to get thought of as a looney tune. You know, I want to be normal. But, you know, normal is abnormal now. we used to be wild animals we used to dance naked around bonfires in the middle of the night we communed with the stars and the planets and the and the volcano and the and the ocean and everything was alive around everything was animated and sentient you know that rock that dead leaf you know everything was alive and could teach us you know the american indians they they believe that you know you know we should respect everything not just what does us good mm-hmm. you know, even even mosquitoes and you know dog poop on the sidewalk everything is is there for a reason and we can learn from everything you know i just think that life is one big long i don't know if it's a learning experience i think it's just an experience that we need to enjoy and, and fully hug you know i mean embrace right yeah it, it, it's much more fun i think and enjoyable than what most people make it out to be um you know two of the things that always bother me are with 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 our society and what i think causes the problems are one is the dependence on money rather than on yourself and, and living off your own wits and the other is um actually land ownership Nobody should own the earth. Would you agree with that? Well, I do. You know, I think we're just we're just here for one short life, and we sure don't own the earth. And you know, I I bristle at no trespassing signs and barbed wire fences. But I, I understand people's reasoning for that. But uh, you know, I just try to get away from that, and I just think that. Uh, Money is kind of not maybe not the root of all evil. It's nice to have money, but it's not something that makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I learned that many years ago that you know having a good job and good money doesn't make me happy because I was perfectly happy when I was hitchhiking around America with fifty bucks in my pocket and everything I owned in my backpack. Right. And then I like I say I lived on Skid Row where I met very happy people, mm-hmm. and, and yet they were eating at soup kitchens and. Uh, sleeping in a flop house and 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 yet they were more in touch with god than people down on wall street yeah it's interesting i used to 
for for a little while, I I, I was playing in a punk rock band. <laughs> Uh, I was living in a boarded up house, and and I used to go eat at the soup kitchen and hang out with, with, with the homeless guys. And there was one guy there, and I remember his name too. His name was Adrian, and and he was actually like a doctor, <laughs> you know, he had like a doctor degree, you know. But and, and he just chose to. He's like like he's like I, I choose to live this way, you know. This this is what I want. I want to be able to sleep outdoors and, and not depend on money. And, and it was you know it was pretty amazing. And the only thing I bad thing I would have to say about him is he smelled bad. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, you know, freedom is is really maybe the greatest gift we have. And you know, uh, in my second book, I have a story about the Skid Row Hotel I lived at and. You know, I just think that there's so much more to life than having money to take care of everything because you're on your deathbed, you're not going to, money is no good. And uh, fame and fortune kind of are temporary things, but your, your, your soul is forever. And I think we should take care of our souls more than our, our lusts and greed and uh, need for social media. And, you know, I just think that we are like complete creatures in other words we have everything we need to be happy within us uh lao tzu talks about not going outside but rather going inside and i never even considered that until just recently when i realized that you know i'm i'm kind of cognizant of what is going on around me in the physical world and yet there is so much within me that i don't i don't know about and so it's almost like a huge frontier within my soul, within my spirit, that I have just started to, to, to learn about. Like mm-hmm. I say, it's almost like opening a door, just a little crack, and then you just get a little glimpse and then it closes. But beyond that door is, well, call it nirvana or paradise or the ultimate, but uh, I think that's where we're headed. Uh, I'm not sure Adolf Hitler is going to make it to heaven, but I do believe that <laughs> most people... You know, one guy who had a near-death experience, he had a conversation with God, and God told him that there is no evil, only people who are uh, misled and confused, and that maybe it takes them two or three lifetimes to realize that it's not making money or getting over on other people or having a good job, but it's, it's you know, being able to uh, help people and, and, and uh, take care of an injured dog and, and uh, you know, maybe move that wasp that's stuck in your garage and take him outside so that he, he can continue his life. You know, some of the Hindus and Buddhists believe that, you know, we, we all go through many incarnations starting at on the very lowest part of the totem pole mm-hmm. that we eventually work our way up through a, from a wasp to a mouse to a dog and then a human or whatever. And then we have chances to go even further, which is back home. You know, the, uh, uh, a wise man once said that your goal is your starting place. It's not progression and going out there and, and learning everything. It's rather learning that you need to come back inside and learn the real stuff. Because, I mean, this is all temporary and minor compared to the eternal side of us. Mm-hmm. I really believe that we all have a soul that I don't know if it has a beginning, but I don't think it has an end. And I think this this life on earth is kind of a test to see what we focus on, what is most important. You know, it's not a new car or new drapes. It's uh, 
being able to help people and, and be helped by people and, and live a human life rather than a, you know, an online uh, virtual reality. I, you know, the word virtual, they, they, they act like it means real, but it doesn't. It's, it, it's not real. It's phony. You know, I mean, you know, we are real, but this online world that has captivated so many people, I, I just think it's, you know, it's like the difference between reading a fairy tale and reading a book on the origins of the universe. Mm -hmm. You know, one might be enjoyable, but the other one teaches you things. You know, I, I stopped reading fiction when I was young because uh, I wanted to read about the real world, nature and sports and you know, real people and real things, because I just have no interest in fantasy or making up stuff, because the real world is more than interesting to me. I, I don't need the rest. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, how do you feel, feel about, um, like, like you revered like, the earth quite a bit, nature quite a bit. Um what are your thoughts on like what's happening to the earth with global warming and stuff like that? You know, I'm not too sure about that. I, I sometimes think that mankind is not really all that uh, powerful to change the climate. I could be wrong, but you know, I've, I've read about, you know, the ice age and, you know, global warming happened long before we had automobiles and smoke belching factories. There were, uh, warm periods and ice ages and warm periods almost like a wave that you know high tide low tide mm -hmm. etc but uh you know i i know it's a political thing but i'm not too sure us humans really have that much to say about climate and that uh you know the indians are believe that you know we'll be long gone and the coyotes and the cockroaches will still be here mm -hmm. so we're, we're it's all speculation i i don't know about climate warming I, I, I am very uh, conscious of the environment and uh, things like that, but I'm not too sure that uh, we can control nature. Mm -hmm. I think nature, as they say, bats last. And we are, you know, we're, we're like they say, we're, we're just a speck of dust. And the human race has only been here for a very short while and might not be here much longer if we keep creating all these ways to kill ourselves. And yeah, pollution is on my mind, but I'm not sure that we can ruin the earth or, or change it that much. Uh, I think I think nature will get rid of us before we get rid of her. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it could just shake us off like a bad case of fleas or something. Well, you know, like this pandemic came by. I mean, you know, we could all be gone in a year or two, and uh, and then nature will get back to normal. You mm -hmm. know, I mean, we we were here for a short while, but. It ain't going to last, I don't think. Unless there's, like I say, that great awakening. And, you know, I see it in, in individuals and groups of people, but I'm not sure it's happening on a wide scale. Because, like I say, I think to really get close to God, you need to be alone and really open your mind and your heart and your soul. Because uh, I'm not sure you can learn about God through a book or a, a church service. You know, right. that's, that's man's interpretation of God. I have my own interpretation, and it has little to do with uh, scripture and and obeying commandments. I obey my heart is what I do, more or less. Do you meditate? You know, I tried years ago, and I, I would fall asleep. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not a real meditation person. I uh, I know some people that have learned a lot from it, but you know, I I think my meditation is just uh, sitting in the weeds or on a on a mountaintop. 
Um, you know, sometimes I just walk around in the woods and, and stop and, and listen and think and watch the birds and the bees. And I think, you know, that's my therapy. Uh, people probably think I should see a psychiatrist or so, but I, I think I'm doing okay without it. Actually, I would say that does count as meditating. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I would say what you do would count as meditating. I think mo- mo- most most people would say like you know, that would be a form of meditation, focusing on nature. Um, do Do you think that we are, um, like like you mentioned, the guardian? We talked a little bit about the guardian angel and stuff like that, um, and everything being sentient. Do do you think that we can learn um, more, like, say, like almost like like communicating with nature, more or less? Like when we connect, we can, or even observe nature and gain wisdom through observation and sort of like indirect communication. Yeah, and I I think it might even go further than that, Gary, because I uh. I have a chapter in my second book. It's called The Day I Spoke with Weeds. And uh, it talks about how I was experimenting with psilocybin mushrooms down mm-hmm. in Texas. And uh, we, we normally use it for party purposes, you know, let's have a good time. Yeah. But anyways, I, I would set a few aside. We'd get them from this cow pasture out in the country. They'd pop up out of the cow pies after it rained. And then uh, I would set a few aside for my own use. And one day I... Uh, I ate a few and I walked into these woods and pretty soon I noticed that I was not only surrounded by numerous living beings, but I was stepping on them and they could feel me touch them. Mm-hmm. And so I started to walk very, very gently and I started uh, communicating with the plants around me, but, but not by speaking, just by mental telepathy or something. And then I noticed that they were communicating back with me and saying, oh, it's all right. You're not hurting us. We're made to be stepped on. But we appreciate you contacting us because so few humans do that anymore. We used to, our ancestors used to feel Mm -hmm. when they stepped on a plant or or they didn't kill anything unless they needed it and ate it. And then they would often, you know, when they would kill a deer or something, they would say, thank you, deer, for dying for me because I can feed my family. And someday I too will fall down and feed your family. You know, we're not better than squirrels and rabbits and, and chicken hawks we're we're a part of the whole nature scheme but i think we're uh we're getting really big heads and uh you know pride goeth before a fall and i think the human race is ready for a real butt kicking <laughs> you know food is is something you know um one of the things that you know, we're all used to now going to the supermarket and purchasing our own food so we don't have any type of connection with what we're eating where you know Back, you know, not, not even that long ago. Like I said, even my grandfather, like like he he would raise, you know, grow his own food, vegetables, and as far as meat, you know, go in the back, get a chicken, cut his head off, pluck it, you know, yeah. and and there was a, a there was a relationship, even though like like it might seem brutal, but there was an actual relationship between the person and the food they eat. That we don't have anymore, and, yeah. and and I think that has an effect on us. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. We used to, all, you know, we grow our own food, hunt our own food, barter with food, and nowadays I just see people treating food like it's 
I don't even know if they really enjoy eating anymore, but I, you know, years ago I drove a garbage truck and I was just amazed at how much food is wasted in America. I mean, I'm sure on one day I could have fed half a Biafra with all the food that I saw people throw out. And, mm. you know, I, I grew up in a, not in, on a farm, but from a farm family and we, we had a huge garden and I knew where the strawberries and the sweet corn and the radishes came from. Mm -hmm. Sweat of your brow. And, you know, I, I grew up loving nature and, and respecting nature because my parents taught me to enjoy uh, gardening and, 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 and walking by the river. And, uh, you know, I had uh, relatives that lived on the farm and I would spend each summer out at my grandparents' farm. And, you know, I learned the whole food process and I never throw away food. I, I don't throw a crust of bread away unless I feed it to the birds, you know. But mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> yeah, I think there's a whole sacred thing involved with food that we've kind of forgotten. Yeah. I mean, it, it not only feeds us, but it sustains us and, and allows us to experience all this God-given beauty. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's one of the magic ingredients of life. You know, I uh, have several chapters in both books about water. And just, I call it the blood of earth. You know, you can't, it is the miracle of creation. I mean, without water, there is no life. Yeah. And so I never take a sip of water without realizing that this is magical stuff. Um, I'm just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by the simplest things in life, you know, just being able to move and water, lightning, where'd this rock come from, you know? And, uh, you know, there's just, you know, really everything is alive and everything is magic. And, uh, I think this modern society has kind of taken that magic out of it and puts it into, you know, little boxes and nuts and bolts. And, you know, I just think that there's so much more to this world than we've been allowed to believe in. Uh, I think our ancestors lived much closer to God and nature than we do nowadays. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look, yeah, yeah. Like my grandfather, I don't even know if he ever even went to the store and bought food. You know, and he came from from Italy to the United States as you know, he was young. But he I remember like we lived by a river. So 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 he's we'd go out to the river and catch a fish and that was dinner. Um or he would grow stuff in his garden. And and I also remember like he would go dumpster diving too for food. <laughs> Even though he had money and he didn't need to, he, he just felt it was wasteful that stores would throw away food. So he would go grab it out of the dumpster and, and, and you know, and, and eat stuff that was like maybe a day older than what the store said it should be, you know? Well, yeah. Well, you know, when I lived on Skid Row, a lot of the food we got at the missions and handouts was stuff that the grocery store didn't want anymore. Mm -hmm. And yet it was still perfectly good. And instead of throwing it away, they give it to the soup kitchen and then they would feed us, you know, uh, the poor and hungry, you know, uh, well, St. Francis talked about, you know, I love St. Francis, but, you know, he he would rather uh, give his food to somebody who was hungrier than him than eat it. Mm -hmm. And then he would starve, but then somebody would bring him food. So I think it's all a, it's a karma thing, Gary. I, I really think that, uh, I don't know whether God keeps a scorecard or what, but, you know, I think when we're good to people, that that shows our real nature. And when we're mean to people, that brings in a, another thing that is, you know, not human. It's almost like a, you know, there is, there are angels and there's devils. There's mm -hmm. good and there's evil. And I think it's almost like a ongoing battle. And 
But I really believe that, you know, if you trust your first instinct, and that is to help others and to live right. It's when we start thinking, well, it's going to happen next. How do I get ahead, you know? And then, then the devil comes into the works, and then the angel leaves. But uh, I really believe that we should, uh, you know, I, I've met so many beautiful people that have told me that, you know, you know, it's the simple things that make us happy. And uh, I really believe that. Have you ever had any moments of fear or doubt or sort of like a dark night of the soul? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You betcha. Uh, not so much in the last few years, but uh, yeah, I had some pretty dark times years ago. But I think that that all kind of is a teaching lesson. Uh, you know, I just think we're supposed to learn from all of our experiences and the bad ones are there for for a reason uh and a lot of it is just to realize that you can survive just about anything <laughs> i mean you know a, a comet could hit me right now and i'd be gone <laughs> but if i moved over there i'd be okay but uh i really think that uh you know we just got to live every day and every minute that we can as best as we can and i'm i'm as guilty as anybody of wasting time but you know, my brother Bruce taught me, he said, you know, you're healthy. you got two strong arms, two arm legs. You should never be bored or lazy a, a second of your life because it can all be taken away of in a minute. And my brother died at age 29. But I really think he lived more in his short life than most people do in 100 lifetimes. Mm -hmm. He really, he really lived well. And he's kind of one of my inspirations. And, you know, I always thought that I was going to die young. I'd never see 30. And Bruce would live to be 100. And now Bruce died when he was not 29. Now my goal is 100. And I, right. hope to be, I hope to be skiing and climbing and doing all the things I love as long as I can. Uh, because like I say, you know, some people believe in many reincarnations. But what if, I don't know that for sure. What if we only get one life? What if this is our only chance to live well? And whether we die at 29 or 129, you know, uh, there's an old Jewish proverb that says, when you, meet your, when you meet your maker, he will ask you why you did not experience all of the pleasures available on earth. And I don't want to be asked that question and, and not be able to answer, you know, I, I got it. You know, I, I want to tell God, you know, I, I, I touched all the bases that I could, you know, and, and I think that's the ultimate supreme satisfaction is just knowing that you've lived well. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend of mine told me that your books are evidence of a life well lived. But I'm not sure about that. But I do know that I was I was supposed to do those things. And I was supposed to write about them. And I, you know, I've had a contact with people who have read my book and, and it's changed their lives. Uh, one lady said that after reading my book, now each morning she reads one chapter and then focuses on that thought for the rest of the day, whether it's rainbows or adrenaline rushes or just being able to get out of bed. You know, it's almost like a it's almost like a self-help book for me. Sometimes I mm -hmm. read a chapter and I go, wow, I had forgotten that. You know, I I'm not living as well as I could, but I I think I have, uh, you know, uh, the inspiration to do so. We're all trying to get to that point of enlightenment where we're as pure as the day we were born. And, you know, I think we're, we're going too far 
in this present society, I, I think it's more of a coming back and a return rather than going out there. Almost regression rather mm-hmm. than progression. Interesting. Um, you know, when it comes to enjoying life, you know, I, I, I see like, like you definitely will find like nature as like, you know, in being alone and stuff like that as, as you know, life. Um, what about though, like the other side of like, I don't even know if it would be considered a bad side of life, but just like simple sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Would you repeat that? Like, what would you think of like, like, I know like you appreciate nature and consider all that, you know, a good part of life. But how about like, think, like things that, like sex, drugs, and rock and roll? Like, I think they're like, you know, a huge part of life, you know. I think like, that's for me, for me anyway, that's been like the funnest part. Well, I love music. Couldn't do without it. Uh, <laughs> it's just one of those, another miracle of life that adds so much to us. And, uh, you know, uh, you ever heard of a singer named Eva Cassidy? No, I don't think so. You might look her up. Uh, she died young at age 33, but uh, I'd always wanted to hear an angel's voice. And then one day I was listening to the radio and I heard an angel's voice. And there was this lady named Eva Cassidy. And she was very spiritual and very uh, in tune with God. And she died young, but I mean, you hear her sing. She, know, she knew what was going on. She knew this was her her chance to show the beauty of nature of, of God through her voice. And sometimes I listen to her and I just get chills because I realized she was in touch with the, the next world. And I think the angels were jealous of her voice. And, and now she's up with the angels. <laughs> and, uh, and But we can still listen to her voice. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's I, I love people who have a connection to the other side. Uh, I had an English teacher in junior high who was. God, she was just a radiant, beautiful person. She's the first person who ever told me that I had a way with words. And sometimes we'd do essays and she would have me read it in front of the class. And I think she was one of my angels. And just down through the years, uh, I look for inspiration in, in simple people and, you know, people that are happy. Uh, I'm not really into intelligence or intellectual conversations, but I, I love people who, uh, you know, love God, love nature, love the simple things in life. Uh, I, years ago when I was swimming laughs in the pool, I got to talking to this little old lady who was next lane to me, and she seemed like she was in a really beautiful place. And uh, in between laughs, I told her, you know, I, I love to swim because as a writer, sometimes it's best just to blank your mind. And a lot of times when I'm swimming laughs, I'll, I'll figure out an essay or something mm-hmm. that I'm working on. And I told this to this lady, and she, she kind of looked around and see if anybody's listening. And she said, "I I do my praying when I'm swimming." You know, in other words, you don't have to be in church, or be a Christian or a Buddhist or anything to, to discover God. I think it's available in the simplest things, and even just motion and uh, you know, touching the feathers on a pigeon's back. You know, I mean, it's, we we have so many access points to heaven. And society seems to close those doors on us as we get older, but I, I never allowed those doors to be closed. Hmm. What is your favorite access point to heaven? Excuse me? What is your favorite access point to heaven? Access point? Yeah. Like, like what is it? Like, do you have a, like, like when you, like you mentioned swimming, hiking, skiing, do you have, 
just surfing? Is it all those things, or do you have one thing that always does it for you? Well, I don't know, man. Uh, I think maybe just blanking my mind, shutting off my brain, uh, kind of gets me into that that place. Um, you know, sometimes at night I have dreams that uh, foretell and advise me what to do. Mm-hmm. I used to write down my dreams each morning, and uh, they're, they're, that's a real learning tool. Uh, ancient peoples believe that there was a tribe in Asia that believed that this real physical world right now that we're awake at is really the dream state, and that at night when we dream, that is reality. And so I, I, I really believe that our sleeping state is kind of a therapeutic uh, way for the angels uh-huh. to get in touch with us. Because sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel like I've just been in heaven. Right. I had a dream of heaven, you know. And then you wake up and it takes a while for you to come back to earth. On the other side, we've all had nightmares where you mm-hmm. think this is the worst thing possible. And then we wake up and realize that's just a dream. That's just a nightmare. We're in heaven. I, I've, I've woken up from a nightmare to a dream come true. You know, I'm healthy. Uh, I, you know, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I, I don't. You know, in dreams, you're kind of limited, but in, in reality, we're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do believe that society tries to limit us because once they get you in, in a box or a, a category, you're easy to control. Mm-hmm. You know, there's almost like a mass brainwashing going on in the media and corporations and buy this and you'll be happy if you have this and that's baloney man i mean we've got what we need to be happy right now now i admit there are people in horrible conditions that you know it may be i don't know karma or something but we all have so much more available to us than uh, we're taught to believe yeah yeah i, I love waking up morning. in fact <laughs> just, just just this morning you know, usually when I, I have two dogs and a cat. So usually, and the one dog's a puppy and he's real hyper. And I have another dog who's a French bulldog. And he's like lazy and stubborn, kind of mean. But I love him. <laughs> that. He's great. Um, but so I wake up and I have to, you know, trying just trying to get them fed is like a bit of a challenge, you know. But I look forward to it. I, I love, it's, it's almost like watching a comedy. It's like I wake up to a comedy every morning. <laughs> but this morning, something really unusual happened. And because um, usually the puppy and the cat fight, they don't get along at all. But today, the cat jumped up on the couch and the puppy jumped up on the couch and started licking the cat's head. <laughs> and the cat was like, oh, I like this. You know, and, and it's things like that that make me like, wow, life is really cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and then I get to do a podcast like this. Like it's, 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 it's sort of about that. You know, it's like, is this a coincidence that I wake up today and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, this is like a really cool morning hanging out with the animals and doing this. And then I get to do a <laughs> podcast with somebody like you who's talking about just like, you know, finding God in all these simple, beautiful things in life. Well, you know, you just reminded me uh I'm down to one cat now, but her name is Coconut, and she wound up in my backyard five years ago in just horrible condition. I won't even explain it to you, but she was something horrible happened to her, and I started feeding her, and she started coming inside, 
and she went through hell, and yet she's the happiest creature I've ever known. And I think it's because she went through hell. Mm -hmm. She has so much room for joy and, and heaven because she, you know, every everything is fun to her. Everything is fun. Racing around the, uh, she, you know, anything I do for her, she's so happy and glad. She's the happiest creature I ever knew. <laughs> and it, she went through something horrible. And like we were talking about, people with handicaps sometimes, you know, live better than those of us who are perfectly healthy. Right. And, you, you know, I almost died about a year and a half ago. I had a giardia that just about did me in. And, you know, while I was wasting away, I just realized, man, I've had so much fun in this life. I just hope I get healthy enough to go have some more fun. And I did. And now I'm back to healthy. And I realize that, you know, even I take so much for granted. But I just, I feel sorry for people who don't uh, appreciate what they have. Because it can all be taken away from you in a minute, in a second. You know, these people who have millions of dollars and fame and fortune that when you die, you lose it all. And it's what you've done with your life and who you've helped and how you've helped that God or the great judge in the sky is going to judge you by, you know, a lot of it has to do with karma. You know, I know that if I'm mean to somebody, I better watch my back. Mm -hmm. And when I'm kind to somebody, I don't know if it gives me brownie points in heaven, but I feel good when I'm able to help somebody in need because so many people have helped me when I was in need, even just, you know, when I was on Skid Row, you know, that, that lady at the Vincent de Paul that handed me the sack lunch, you know, she, she kept me alive and food is so important. And, and, you know, everything we take for granted shouldn't be taken for granted because it's all temporary. And the only thing we got left is that soul when we die. And I think we, uh, we're responsible, you know, for our behavior and, uh, we pay for it sooner or later, either good or bad. Mm. You know, what do they call it? Uh, well, what goes around comes around. The old biker thing. <laughs> do you think, like, I know me personally, I, I don't believe in the idea of hell or eternal damnation. But I do think that, like karma, you know, I, I think that if, if I really screw things up in this life, I'm going to have to come back and make it right. Yeah. Yeah, I think as we uh, get near the summit, we kind of relax. And that's when we start sliding back. Uh, you know, somebody once said you should be as, uh, well, what's the word? Uh, you need to focus on getting to the summit and especially the last few steps. Uh, otherwise you start backsliding and then you have to repeat it again. I'm not sure about reincarnation. I do believe that I've lived other lives, but I do believe that, uh, you know, we pay for our sins. I don't know if we go, if there's a hell, I don't, I don't believe in eternal damnation, but I do think there's, we pay for our sins and we know what is right and what is wrong in our hearts. That's something we're all given. And I think when people, uh, you know, steal and rob and kill. They they know they're doing wrong, but there must be some kind of thrill to it. But uh, we all pay for our our transgressions. Um, so before we wrap this up, what do you think is the most valuable piece of advice or lesson that you have learned in life? Trust yourself. Trust your instincts. Trust your angel. Follow your heart. You know, 
I've met smart people who were really stupid. <laughs> and I've met so-called dumb people who were really wise. Yeah. And I've met people that, like you say, smell bad, have bad clothes. And yet they were angels on earth. And I've met people dressed in finery and they were rotten. And, you know, you have to go past the surface of things. Uh, the Tao Te Ching talks about not eating the peeling, but eating the fruits. You don't, you don't eat the banana peeling, you eat the banana. You have to go inside. So much of the Tao and, and ancient Oriental philosophy talks about going inside, which I'm just now starting to learn at age 64. And it's like a, like a whole new uh, mountain range to explore. They're just limitless. Uh, on the inside, whereas mm -hmm. this outer world has so much, but it, there's only so far you can go with it. Whereas on the inside, I think it's it's limitless. There's no there's no boundaries. There's no uh, end game. It's just you know. I think we're all trying to get back to God, uh, however you perceive God. But I I I think God is just a very uh, caring, loving uh, uh, being that wants us to be happy. And how do we do that? By trusting our inner nature, not the outer influences and the, uh, the intellectual side of things. I mean, uh, I just think simplifying life is, is uh, the key to happiness. Do you think that, um, God, I, like, do you think people have free will or do you think life is pre-planned? Oh, I know we have free will. Uh, now, there are some cases where fate takes over, but, uh, oh, yeah, we, we definitely have free will. I mean, I love that saying, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's three pretty good things to live by. Live your life, be free, and, where you know, somebody once said the key to happiness is to run to that which calls you. And when I was young, the road called me, and nature called me, and, you know, just uh, adrenaline rushes called me and I, you know, I, I risked it all when I was young and I survived long enough to, you know, write books about it. And I, I just think we have total free will. Like I say, some people have bad, bad, uh, karma or fate interferes, or you're born with a terrible disease or something. We can't always help that or explain it, but, uh, I do believe that we have the ability to better ourselves, but not through uh, human means, but rather through spiritual means. I think, I think we're all spirits in, in earthly form. And then when we die, we go back to being just a spirit. And whether that's, I, you know, there's so much I don't understand. And I'm glad because I think life is a mystery. And I think if we could just log on to the computer and find out, is there a God? or, you know, all the answers to the questions you've asked, I don't think it'd be as near as much fun. I think we're <laughs> supposed to, I think we're supposed to have uh, learning experiences and, and, you know, bad times and good times. And, and then how we handle those things uh, determines whether we're happy or not. Mm -hmm. We can't just listen to others. We have to listen to our inner voice, yeah, which has been with us since we were conceived. You know, that voice when I was in grade school is still the same voice. I It's not a voice. It's just a kind of a nudge or a hint or a, you know, don't go there, do this instead. You know, 
I listen to that because that's that's what has kept me alive. I've had eight or nine close calls with death, and I really believe my angel was there every time, uh, helping me. Uh, maybe not physically, but you know, spiritually, which is even more important than physical. Wow, I I agree. I agree with you completely. <laughs> my my experience has been pretty similar, also. Um, so thank you very much for taking the time to be on today. I love talking to you today. This is great, Gary. You asked some great questions, and uh, you know, I, I you know, I, like I say, I I just follow my instincts. And uh, thank you for having me on, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. You, me uh, too. We've had some similar experiences, and uh, you know, it's it's sharing. Uh, and caring that really makes this world so much fun. I mean, it's the human experience, even as flawed as it is, that is the gateway to heaven. I really believe that. Awesome. Um, before we wrap it up, where can my listeners find you and find your book? Um, I have a website, kurtmelliger.com. It's spelled C-U-R-T-M-E-L-L. I G E R dot com. And then also my second book, uh, Where the Weeds Grow, it's not available on Amazon just yet, etc. But they can go to OzarkMT.com. My publisher is called Ozark Mountain Publishing. And their website is OZARKMT.com. And they can order my first book and or second book. Uh, in paperback or ebook now and then uh Later, it'll be available on other forums. But uh, I would say go to those two websites and uh, go from there. Okay. I will post links to both those sites in the notes of this episode so that my listeners will be able to go to them and check you out and buy your books. Great, man. That's great. Awesome. At the end, thank you for being on. This was a lot of fun. And hang on one moment while I play the outro. Okay. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page www.everythingimaginable2020.com Oh yes, I almost forgot. You can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. And it's on Amazon. It'll change your life. Because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.